Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be continuing our sermon series on surrender. Right, We've been doing surrender for the past few weeks. But um, how many of you have seen those commercials where they're trying to sell something? And it's like, you know, this does it all. It's a three in one. This will get, you, get the job done. And, you know, it's a cleaning supply. And it not only cleans your toilet, your mirrors, your floor, your car, your breath. Right? It cleans it all. Right? And so this morning I have a question for you, kind of like an infomercial, but this one actually works, right? And it's free, okay? Let me say this. What if I told you that every sin that you're struggling with, okay, every sin that you struggle with, any, every discouragement that you might be dealing with, right, even the lack of faith and purpose in your life, what if I told you that all of it is because of idolatry? Hmm. There's a pastor, he's a teaching pastor in Kentucky, his name is um, Kyle Eidemann, and he wrote this book called God's at War. If you've never read the book God's at War, I highly suggest that you read it, it's fantastic. Um, but he, he wrote a book on idolatry, right, different gods that we sometimes worship in our own lives. But he, start, he shared a story about his daughter who came in and said, Dad, I learned all the Ten Commandments, right, I memorized them all. And so being a teaching pastor, he said, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, it's time to teach my daughter something. So he said, go ahead. And, you know, she starts them off one by one, and she's singing the song with it. And then at the end of it, he said, man, I'm proud of you. Um, but have you ever broken one of those commandments? So she kind of puts her head down. And, and as a teaching pastor, he's like, oh, yeah, here we go. This is going to be great. She so goes, well, yeah. He said, have you ever lied before? Yeah. You know, have you ever um, wanted something that somebody else had? Yeah. Have you ever murdered anyone? No. So, no, I know, but have you ever hated somebody or was really angry at someone in your heart? She goes, yeah. And he said, I don't have to ask you if you obey your parents because we both know the answer to that. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> right. And then she, you know, he, he saw her kind of get down. And so he's thinking, maybe I should ease off a little bit. And then she kind of brightens up. She goes, I know one of the Ten Commandments that I've never broken. And he goes, yeah, what's that? She says, I've never made a false God. And that's why Kyle wrote the book, God's at War. Because he said that over a thousand references in Scripture refer to idols, but we tend to act like it's something we don't struggle with. No, I don't have a false God in my life. Um, but I want to tell you right now that the deadliest war that's going on over the believer's heart is a war between false gods and God Almighty, who's fighting for our hearts. And know that today God is calling you to surrender Whatever idols that you've put up on the altar and whatever false God has taken his place in your heart, God is calling you to surrender those today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We're going to dig in the word. I'm excited about this one. This one kind of hurt me this week, so I'm excited to hurt you a little bit. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, um, God, we're thankful uh, for you being in this house, God, for you being here with us, God. We feel your presence, Lord, and we thank you and we praise you, God, through song um, and through worship. But, God, we want to praise you through your scripture. So, Holy Spirit, give us discernment. Um, on these scriptures, God, I pray that as we're studying this, God, and as you're speaking to us, Lord, I pray that you reveal those false gods in our hearts, those idols that we have placed above you in our lives, God. Um, reveal that to us, God, so that we can surrender, we can repent, and we can surrender those false gods to you, God. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. And I'm, I'm reading out of English Standard Version, so you can just follow along if you'd like. But Exodus 32, verse 1 says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, 
make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So we know, right, that Moses had gone up to the mountain. God called him up there and he's having a meeting with God, right? It's kind of a miraculous event that Moses is being able to have with God. He sees his glory. God gives him these Ten Commandments and and he's speaking to him, right? And for 40 days, God is meeting with Moses and it's awesome. Right. But what the Israelites were thinking was, man, what's happening? All the Israelites knew is that they had been promised years and years for years and years that they would receive the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. And so for 40 days, Moses is gone. They're thinking, what's happening? Why are we still here? And so they became very impatient with Moses and with God. And what they didn't realize, though, was that God wasn't being dormant in their life. It wasn't like God just kind of said, hey, I'm done. Let's let's just me and you hang out, Moses. What God was doing was working something up for the Israelites so that they can be closer to God. And he was doing that through Moses. But they they had that milk and honey on their mind, and they did not want to wait anymore. And so they said, up, make us gods who shall go before this. And this is, to me, this is something that's very disgusting. I want you to think about it. After what God had done for them, right? You guys know up to this point, the Israelites, God said, hey, I will be your God. You will be my people. And he made a covenant with the Israelites through Abraham, through Moses. And God had delivered them through so many things. And then all of a sudden they say, up, make us gods to go before us. To me, that's kind of disgusting, Right? It's hard when you do something. For, how many of you have felt like this? You've done something for somebody, and it's like you never did anything at all. They were ungrateful. They didn't care. They kind of went behind your back anyways. How many of you ever experienced that before? Right? It kind of hurts a little bit, right? It's like they're ungrateful, and it doesn't make you want to do more stuff for them, right? It makes you kind of want to cut them out and let them be. But God, luckily, isn't like your pastor Donnie. Right? Because I would have said, yeah, cool, you go ahead. Y'all go on. But God, being rich in mercy and in grace, man, He loves us. No matter how many times you've turned on Him, no matter how many times you've turned away, God is saying, I'm here. I'm doing something in your life. Just, just look. Look at what I'm doing. And God's calling us to Him. Uh, but they said, make us gods. And so the fact that they said gods, plural, shows that when they were um, in captivity in, in Egypt, right? You guys remember that story, the great exodus, right? They were enslaved in Egypt with the Pharaoh for generations and generations. When it says to me is that they were watching these Egyptians worship everything, the sun, the moon, the desert, the cactus, whatever, whatever it was, they worshiped it. And so they're saying, let's be more like the Egyptians and let's have gods, make us gods. And I want to tell you, and I'm sure you can testify this, that one God is enough. Amen. We serve a God who's three in one, but he's strong enough to save. He's mighty enough to forgive. He's more powerful than anything that we can that can stand against him. He's the healer, the deliverer. He God is enough so that we don't have a need for other gods. I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not because God is enough. Right. And it never made sense to me as I was reading it this week. Why would you want to worship something that you made, right? What is that going to do for you, right, Ann? It doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, it did for them, I guess. So anyways, let's look at verse 2. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. 
Verse 3, so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your God, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Aaron, right? We know that Aaron is kind of Moses' little sidekick, right? Uh, Moses was, was kind of afraid to do what God was calling him. And so God said, fine, I'll send Aaron with you. Right? So Aaron was with Moses, and what, and what makes me upset was that when he approved to make these gods, Aaron, it blows my mind, Aaron saw what God had done for them. Aaron was right there with Moses when, when Moses split the Red Sea, and they walked through the, the dry land. Aaron was with them. When, when Moses would go to Pharaoh, and he had the staff, and he threw it down, and it became the serpent, and he grabbed it, and it went back into a stick. Aaron was there. Aaron did some of these miracles, and he approved it anyways. And, and what, makes me, what makes me a little more frustrated is that we tend to act like Aaron. If I don't know if you, if you noticed this or not, but he approved to make their golden cow just like the Egyptians. It's an Egyptian practice. They worshiped the cow. I don't know if you knew this, but the cow meant to them strength and fertility to the Egyptians. So Aaron thought, you know what? If we're going to make a God, let's make a strong God. Forgetting how powerful God already proved himself to be to them through the plagues and through parting the sea. Right? But something that, that I want you to, to make sure that you notice is that he completely discredited what God had done for them. He said, These are this was your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. A lot of times when we have false gods in our lives, we tend to give them more credit than we do God. And sometimes I look, not, that might look like if you feel bad and you're depressed, then the medication you take is what makes you better, rather than relying on God, who is the great physician. Do you guys see what I'm saying? We discredit what God is doing or what God is trying to do in our lives, and we give the credit to something else. That's disgusting to me, right? It's disgusting to God. But this is what I really want you to see. Look at verse 5 one more time. Aaron does something here that we all tend to do. He says, uh, when Aaron saw this, the golden cow, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Aaron does something that we all tend to do. We try to justify the sins in our lives. Aaron saying, look, they're going to be a feast for the Lord. Anytime you see Lord capitalized, right? L-O-R-D capitalized, that's God, right? And so he's saying, look, I know what we're doing is wrong, but we're going to have a feast tomorrow for the Lord, right? In order for that, hey, we're still good on, with God, right? We're still, if, if God's there, we're still waiting on him, but we're doing this over here. Man, we do the same exact thing. We look at our sin and we go, man, God, I know this is probably bad, but I'm going to church tomorrow morning, so it's okay. Hmm. How many of you have ever done that before? Go ahead, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Some of you said that last night, right? No, but think about it. Aaron did something. He's trying to cover this bad situation with the fact that, hey, tomorrow we're going to worship God. We're going to have a feast for the Lord. Right? And know this, that no matter what feast or festival, no matter how many times you come to church, if you have a false idol in your life, you are being disobedient to God, and God hates it. 
all right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Doesn't matter how many times you try to say, God, I'm doing this for you. If you have a false God in your life, God's not happy because you're being disobedient. You guys with me? Okay, let's look. Verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They had literally built an altar for this cow. They worshipped this cow and they were even making sacrifices to this cow. Those are three things that God at some point in the history of Israel had commanded them to do for him so that he knew that they loved him. Do you understand that? God asked them to build an altar for him so that he can, their presence can be um, around God, and they built an altar for a cow. God said, worship me, they worship the cow. Sacrifice to me, they sacrifice to the golden cow statue. So the three things that God at some point intended them to do for him, they were doing to something that they had made themselves. Right? And I want you to keep that in your mind for a little bit. But look at God's response to this. Verse 7, um, starting, verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Right? So Moses is up there 40 days, and finally God says, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf. They have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 9 said, And and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. And see, this is what sin does. Sin is what brings corruption to the sinner, and in reality, it's a self-corruption. And what that means is that we're bringing upon ourselves God's wrath and judgment when we sin. Outside of Jesus, we are literally bringing on more condemnation. Outside of Jesus Christ. Because God hates sin. It literally fills God with wrath. When we choose to worship false gods. And when we sin. Because sin is what separates us from God. It's not the fact that we're sinning. It's the fact that when we do sin. It separates us from God. Because God is so holy. God is so perfect. God is so mighty. That sin cannot be in its presence. And there's no spot for it. And God hates that because God wants us to be with Him. God wants you. God loves you. So when there's sin in your life and it feels like, man, I feel like I'm so far from God, it's because you have sin in your life that you haven't repented from. God hates the sin. It literally brings wrath. And if you were to go on to read, you know, he's saying that, leave me alone, Moses, so I can pour out my wrath in like a literal translation, like burning hot wax upon them. Right? I don't know if you ever played with wax when you were a little kid. I did. I was weird. Right? My mom would burn candles and I kind of put my finger. It hurts. Right? God said, let me pour my wrath on them. And if you continue to read, Moses goes on and he's like a middleman and he's really trying to get God to calm down and say, hey man, don't forget about the promises that you've made. And, 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 he, and he calms God down a little bit. Right? Praise God for Moses. Amen? But in the beginning of, this, of today, I asked you, what if I told you that every sin you struggle with, every discouragement, every um, faith, um, faith, 
um, struggle that you have all comes down to because you have an idol. And so why is that? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that um, all of our sin and the root of our sin is because uh, there is an idol in our lives? And it's be, I'll tell you why. You ready? It's because God has a place in our heart that only belongs to Him. And what we try to do is give it to other things. And God does not stand for that. You guys understand me? You guys look a little sleepy this morning. The root of most of our sin is idolatry, and it makes God angry, and His wrath against sin, um, just like the Israelites, it, it burns, right? Um, in Kyle's book, God's at War, he gave this example that I, that I think really uh, resonates with me a little bit, but Kyle gave this example of what it looks like for us to not think that idolatry is a big issue. Right? He said a man uh, went to the doctor's office. He had this bad cough. Right? And, he, and his cough kept him up all night. He couldn't get rid of it. And he couldn't have a clear conversation with people because he would start coughing. And finally he said, okay, I'll go to the doctor. And he went and they did tests. And the doctor was back in his room looking at the results and to find out that this man had lung cancer. And the doctor was thinking, man, this is going to be hard for me to tell him. And he's probably not going to take it well. And so he came into the room. He said, hey, there's good news. Um, it's just a cough. And he gave this man cough medicine. So this man went home, relieved. Hey, I just got a bad cough, takes the, pain, or takes the cough medicine. Sure enough, the cough kind of clears up. He's able to sleep at night. He's able to have a conversation. But all the while, this cancer inside of his lung was tearing at his body. And that's exactly what happens with our sin of idolatry. See, we find these little things like, oh, it's just lust. I just have a lust problem. I just have this problem with, with uh, lying. I just have this problem with um, um, coveting. But in reality, there's a God inside that we're tending to worship that's causing those problems, and we're just kind of fixing it. We're just giving it cough medicine. Does that make sense to you all this morning? It's hard, but in order to find, in order for us to figure out this, this problem is that we have to dig deep. We have to get to the real issue, not just the surface level. God doesn't really move just on the surface level. God knows what's in a man's heart. And that, takes, and that requires you digging inside of yourself to see what's really going on in your life. How many of you like to do that? Right? <laughs> not too many of us, right? But that's what God is trying to do. Um, same goes with, you know, in, in our idols, in our hearts, in our lives. And um, I, I, as a minister, I've been, I've been in ministry for over eight years now. I've only been a pastor since last year. You guys know that. But I've been doing ministry for a long time. And I've had the privilege of having people come to me and say, you know, Donnie, I'm hurting. And, and it was, you know, I love that because they're, they're trying to deal with what's going on in their life. And I hear, Donnie, I'm hurting. Or, or Donnie, I'm stressed out. Or um, I've gotten, uh, I, I've been able to get real with some of them, right? And they say, Donnie, I have a, I have a problem with lusting. Or, um, you know, I, I'm taking drugs. Or I'm putting God third in my life and not first. And I've heard all these things. And, and, but what's crazy is that the more I hear, and I love it, right? And I, I got to counsel with some of you guys here. And I, I grieve when you grieve. And I'm happy when you're happy. And I'm I'm. Rejoicing when you rejoice. But what amazes me is that people come and they say things like, you know, I have this issue with lust. In reality, they're not even scratching a little bit of what's going on. They, they, they refuse to go, dig, they go digging in to see what that real issue is. And, it, and it's, it makes me sad. You know, and they come to me with a symptom rather than the real illness. Right? And I'm no doctor, but I know sin. Because I'm a sinner. 
right? And so um, the problem is, you know, when they come and they say, I think I got the issue figured out. I just need to stop doing this. In reality, it's never the true issue. Um, he gives another example in this book. I love this book. I've read it multiple times. You should read it. But he gives this example of a man who came into his office and uh, he was counseling with him. And he says, Pastor, and he was really embarrassed. And he said, Pastor, I have, I have a problem with pornography. Right? And he said, wow. In his mind, he's, he, he wrote, he said, man, I was surprised that he just said it out there like that. And he goes, man, you're not the first one to admit this. Right? This is a big problem in today's world. And so he said, well, what do you think needs to happen? He goes, one, I hate my computer. I hate my phone. I, if it wasn't for those things in my life, I wouldn't struggle with this lust and, you know, all these things. And, and then he, he just let the man talk and talk and talk about his issue with lust. And finally, when the man was done talking, Kyle said he was just silent for a little bit. He said he was silent until it grew awkward, and the man just kind of looked at him for an answer. And he, says, and he said to him, hey, man, I, I bet you're expecting me to tell you something like, you know, put, a, uh, put a, um, a lock on your phone so you can't look at these websites. Or maybe you might hear, you, you think I'm going to say something like join a group of other people that keep you accountable. But he, and the guy said, yeah, is that what you're going to tell me? He said, no. He said, what I'm going to ask you is, do you have a worship issue? The man said, what do you mean? He says, to me, it doesn't sound like a lust issue. It sounds like you're worshiping sex rather than worshiping God. And the man was kind of grew silent. And he said, I never thought about, it, not thought about it like that. He said, we have to figure out what is the real issue. What is it that we're truly worshiping? Your sin is more than just a cough. Idolatry is more than just a problem. It is the problem. We tend to worship other things rather than God. We've all made and fashioned some type of false God in our life that we look to rather than looking to God in some way or another. All of us have done it. The Israelites were impatient. They needed the answer right then and right there. And rather than having faith in God, they made their home. And they could probably pretend that it was going to give them something. Right? You guys with me on that? What is, what is it that you have made into a God? One, you know, remember we talked about sometimes it's blessings. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Sometimes it could be a blessing that God has given you. Maybe a talent. Maybe your, um, your family. Maybe your money. Maybe it's your job, your financial security. What is it the most important thing in your life rather than you trusting in the fact that God is going to provide for you? What is it that you are turning to? Maybe like the example from the book, your God that you worship, right? It's sex. Rather than trusting in God, providing a relationship that glorifies him through marriage, right? If God made those things, he made it to glorify him. Rather than trusting with him, you're going through every single relationship that you can go into, sleeping with whoever you want to be sleeping with, rather than just trusting God is enough to satisfy me. Maybe that is your God. I don't know, but I know that we all have idols in our lives and some of us are not digging deep enough to figure out what it is. Instead, we're pretending we just have a cough, right? And so how can you figure out your idols, right? You guys awake with me? Here we go. How do you figure out what your idols are? And I'm hoping that you're already, your brain's already clicking. You're already thinking about it. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, to figure out your idols is not going to be easy. Right? The enemy is happy at the fact that you worship other things. If the devil can keep you worshiping false gods, if he can continue for you to be in idolatry in some way or another, he's happy. 
And so if you're going to figure out your idols, he is going to fight you. Satan is going to fight you. He wants to keep your relationship with God at surface level. He does not want you to go deeper with God. Because he knows the deeper you get in a relationship with God, the more that you love God, the more that you're obedient to God, the more power that he loses. Because the more that you love God, the more that you're obedient, the more God's going to bless you and the more that you can bless others. The more that you're on fire for Jesus shows that you're going to go share more about Jesus. And so if you're going to fight your idols, be ready. But know this, the enemy has no victory. Remember last week, there is no victory. When Jesus rose from the grave, he took all of the sin and the devil's victory with him. And Jesus has the victory. And he says, if you're founded in me, you too can have that victory. So it's going to be a fight, but fight it. Amen? So the first couple steps, there's three things that, that we can see from this scripture about figuring out what our false gods are. What are your idols? Look back Exodus 32. Look at verse 4. 4 and 6. And he says, And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Verse 5. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Okay, so the first step in looking at your life and trying to figure out what are your false gods, what are your idols is look for the things that you have put up on to an altar. Right. Think of an altar as as a platform. Right. We don't go around like the Old Testament building up altars for God. We don't do that. Right. If you see someone going around just building altars, call the cops. Okay, that's weird. Don't let them do that. Okay. tell them to go to church. Okay, the altar's ready. Right? But we don't go around building altars, but I want you to think about your heart. Picture your heart being your altar. Okay? Your heart is your altar. What's on it? What is on your altar? What is the thing that is consuming your heart? Is it your family? Is it that your family, um, it, you're so consumed on how your family is portrayed in public? That you want to look a certain way, so is, is, is your family... The first thing in your heart? Is it your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Is, is on your altar your money? Is it your car, your truck? Your land, your talents? What is it that you think about the most? What consumes your thoughts? What is it that motivates you to get out of the bed every single day? What is it that you continuously can't get out of your head? What is that sin that it just, it just always is there? What is on your altar? Think about that guy that I shared about, right? His thing was, I, don't, I can't stop thinking about websites, and I can't, I can't stop looking at my phone. Sex was on his altar. That was the God that he was worshiping. For me, it's been many times in my life um, where skateboarding has become that. Right? It used to be basketball, then I realized I'm never going to go pro in basketball, right? I'm short and white, right? And so it's not, it's not going to happen, right? And so I've really focused on skateboarding. I love skate ministry, but there's times in my life where if I'm not careful, that's all I will think about. I want to land this trick, and when I get to the skate park, rather than me saying, I'm here to share the gospel, I'm here to, to lift somebody up, to encourage someone, I'm there, hey, will you hold my phone and film this for me? Right? You guys with me on that? What is it that consumes your thought? What holds that number one position in your heart? If it isn't God, it's an idol. And sometimes you have to look not at the positive things, right? Look at the negative things in your life. 
What disappoints you the most? Is it your career? Are you disappointed at where you're at in your career? Then maybe your job has become your God. Is it your family? Are you, are you so, like I said earlier, are you so focused that you want your family to look better than this family who's perfect and got it all together? So you make sure that every waking moment of your life, that you're making sure your family looks like this? Maybe your family is your God. Rather than just letting God, you can't fix your family sometimes. Sometimes only God can fix your family, right? right. <laughs> Amen. Right? Praise God that He's the only one that can do it. What is it? Maybe you're putting too much hope in those things and they disappoint you. But when you put your faith and trust in God, He will never disappoint you. What is it that you complain about the most? Is it your finances? You don't have enough money. You don't make enough. You didn't get a raise. Is it your sports team? I heard a lot of complaining about the Tennessee Vols last year. Right? Maybe your sports team or your sport has become your God. Where do you go when you get hurt? When you're down and you're depressed and you're struggling, you come home, what do you turn to? Do you go to the refrigerator and get the food out? Seriously. Maybe food is your God. It's a little comfort food. Rather than being comforted in Jesus. Is it that beer that you turn to? Maybe it's become an idol in your life. Is it a phone? Um, that, or is it your friend that you can call? Is it a book or a movie? Video game, pornography? What is it that you're trusting in rather than letting God be your refuge and your strength in a time of need? What is it that you turn to the most? So one, the first step to figuring out your idol is you have to figure out what is on your altar. Amen? You guys get it? Second step, what do you worship? Look at this verse again. When um, he built an altar before and Aaron made a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up the next morning and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And they sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. That sounds a lot like worship, right? Worship, we said a few months ago, worship is what? I just want to hear you say it. Love expressed. Man, y'all learned something. Go ahead. I'm proud of you guys. Right? Worship is love expressed. If you love something, you're going to worship it. And at this case, these Israelites, they t- all of a sudden were in love with this golden cow. Although the golden cow didn't do anything in their life, they loved it, they worshipped it, and they expressed it through playing and singing and having a feast. So my question is, what is it that you are worshipping? What do you tend to talk about the most? What is it that you would rather do than go to church? What is it that you would rather do than sit down and pray? What is it that you would rather do than sit down and read His Word? What is it that you would rather do other than being devoted to God? What are you worshiping? What is it that gets all of your devotion? Sometimes, even in my life, even in ministry, I want you to see how easy this is as a minister If I get caught up too much in the ministry rather than my relationship with God, I'm going to be in trouble. I can't talk about God more than I talk to God. And that's easy for preachers to do. How much easier is it for just Christians to do it? I'm not like on this pedestal. I'm not above some of you. Some of you are further in your walk in God than I am. But I'm saying it's easy for us to be devoted to everything else and just give a little devotion to God on Sundays and Wednesdays. What is it that you are devoted to? If it isn't God, you're being devoted and you're worshiping an idol. You guys with me? The third step is what do you sacrifice to? 
is the Israelites were literally making sacrifices to this golden cow. And sacrifices equals money, right? And can it, sacrifice looks like you giving your money. So this is something that hard, that's hard to do, and I, I don't want to do it, but we do it sometimes in our family. Look at your budget and your, and your, uh, um, your monthly uh, bill and see in your bank account, your statement, to see what you have been spending your money on, right? Lucy does that to me all the time. <laughs> Donnie, what the heck? <laughs> right? I, I'm sorry, baby. Right? I put my head down. But seriously, I want you to go home, look at your bank statement, and, and it'll show you what you're sacrificing to. Hmm. Y'all got quiet on that one. <laughs> Is it your car? Different, different things on your car that you're putting into? Is it your, like I said, your house maybe? Maybe you have a hundred different toys and then they're all useless. Is it shoes? I have to be careful with that. I like shoes. I might have more than Lucy in my closet. I don't know. Um, it's probably close. But is it your shoes? Is it your wardrobe? Is it drugs? Is it pain pills? Do you have more money in your savings account than what your tithe reflects? What are you sacrificing to? And it's not just money, right? It's also your time. What are you sacrificing your time for? And that kind of goes back into worship, but what is it? Are you sacrificing your time for your false god or for God? Are you saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to sit here and watch TV for four hours, or hey, I'm going to spend a little time with Jesus today? Is it, hey, I'm so caught up in myself at this red light, I'm going to be cussing and yelling because everyone is cutting me off? I know. I, hey, I've seen some of y'all drive, right? <laughs> that you're so devoted to yourself that you don't even realize what's going on around you? What is it that you are sacrificing to? And so my, my question is, why do we need to take time to identify our false gods? Remember that God is a jealous God. Not in a sinful way because God cannot sin, but God is a God who is better and bigger and stronger and holier than everything else in this world. And in the universe. And so when he says that he is a jealous God, it's not because he's, sin, he's sinning, but he's saying, there is no one that can relate to me. No one can come close to me. So you shouldn't have anybody in front of me. It's not a sinful thing for God to be jealous. He's saying this, is that um, a lot of the times when someone talks about idols in the Christian life, right, they say something like this, you need to get your priorities straight. God first, and then your family, then your job. God can't be second or third. But that's really not the correct way to think about it. Um, in the book, he says, if your life is a business, right? You got your CEO, your accountant, your, you know, your board of trustees, right? He says, if your life is an accountant and you're sitting at this big meeting table, God shouldn't have the seat on the far end that, that shows that he's the, he's the biggest guy in the table. He, he says, God shouldn't have to do that. God should be the main person in your life and everyone else should be fired because you only need God. There shouldn't be an accountant. There shouldn't be a vice president. There shouldn't be an assistant to the regional manager. It's just God. God is your main focus. If God is your center of your focus, then the family can't become a God because God is your main focus. And you will serve your family, you will pray for your family, and your family cannot become into God's place. If God is at the center of your life and He's dictating your life, then money can't become a God in your life because God is at the center. And so God can't, our money can't control you because you're saying, hey, I'm giving my 10% to God and I'm also trying to help the needy because God tells me to do that. 
If God is at the center, then your hobbies can't become a God. Right? If God is at the center, then drugs can't because God is at the center. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? God it doesn't come in first, second, or third. It's just God. Everything else just kind of falls in line. But we take those things and say, God, I love you and I trust you, but I need money. And money makes the world go around. It doesn't. <laughs> but we put money in the center, and then God kind of gets trickled out, and our money dictates what we and how we worship and sacrifice to God. Y'all see that? God at the center. Not second, first, or even third. The center. So, after you've identified your false gods, how can you surrender? And this is what we're talking about today. Um, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 14, and and I promise we're wrapping up. I might have lied to you last week when I said that. Please forgive me. Uh, But this week, I'm being serious. We're about to wrap up with this, okay? Three steps for you to surrender your false gods. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 14. And you guys know Ezekiel, man, God called him to some hard ministry. He pretty much told him, hey, I'm sending you to the Israelites, man. They're stiff-necked. They're a bunch of idiots worshiping all kinds of things. They hate me. You're going to go tell them I'm going to kill them all if they don't turn to me. He kind of said that in a nutshell, right? So Ezekiel had a rough ministry, right? He didn't have a good one uh, or an easy one, but it was good. Look at Ezekiel 14, and this is the first step in repenting or in, in surrendering our false gods. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 3 said, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling blocks of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Anyone of the household of Israel who takes his idols into his own heart and sets the stumbling block of iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of their hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged for me from their idols. You see, when we worship other idols, it's, it's like we, we're kind of separating ourselves from God. God isn't the one who separates himself from us. We tend to look at other things. It's like we take a step back away from him. And then we say things like, I just don't feel as close to God anymore. Right? I, got, I don't know what it is. I just don't feel close to God anymore. It's because you got a false idol in your heart. Right? Keep reading. Look at verse 6. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, and here's the first step. Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. So the first step in surrendering your idol is to repent from it. Literally, we know repent literally means to turn away. If you're walking this direction, you repent, you go this way, right? Everybody knows that. That's the church answer. But to repent to God means you coming down on your knees and saying, God, forgive me for worshiping other things. 
God, forgive me for turning my face away from you and fashioning my own God and worshiping it, being more devoted to it than I am devoted to you. So I'm sacrificing more to it than I sacrifice to you. God, forgive me. Repent. I'm repenting right now. God, give me strength to turn away from it. That's the literal definition, not just, oh, turn away. It's easy. That's the surface level. Repenting means you're coming before God and saying, I am turning away from this life and I'm turning back to you, God. And that's something that we need to be doing daily. Daily. Repent. Tell God you're sorry. And move on. Don't let the enemy keep you there. Move forward. The second step into surrendering your, God, your false gods is to demolish your idols, right? This is the hard part. Go back to Exodus chapter 32. This is, the, this is the hard part. This requires you to dig down deep, to go past. It's just a cough and call out your false gods. All right. I want you to look at Moses back in Exodus 32, verse 19 and 20. Okay. And it says this. And as soon as he came near the camp, this is Moses, and he saw the golden calf and the dancing Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Right? You know what that looks like in today's day? How many of you ever seen the show Fixer Upper? Anybody? Fixer Upper, right? They Kip, Chip and, and Joanna Gaines, they're from Waco, Texas. They go in and, they, and they, you know, re, they redo old houses, make them look awesome, and they sell them, right? Make a lot of money. What is, um, here's for the fans, and you're not allowed to answer because my wife loves this, the TV show, right? What is Chip Gaines' favorite day in the whole construction? Demo, demo day, right? Moses comes down and he says, it's demo day. He comes down, he throws down the tablets, he grabs the golden calf, he burns it, he powders it, and makes them drink it. For you to surrender your idols, you have to demo day them. You can't play with it. If it's an idol, destroy it. Get rid of it. The Bible says if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Not the finger, not the pinky nail, cut your hand off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If you got a false idol in your life, it can be money. I'm not telling you to get rid of your money. I'm telling you, be smart about it. Give it to God. Tithe your 10% that God requires from you. Give to the poor and needy. I promise, even if you don't have a lot of money, you giving some money away to someone who's in need is going to bless you more than if you had a million dollars in your bank. I promise you. I don't got a lot of money, but I try to give. I wish I could give more. If I can demolish the God of money in my heart, maybe I will. Demo day your idols. If sex was your God, stop looking at pornography. Stop cheating. Stop sleeping around and thank God for marriage and ask for strength to be satisfied in Him until you find your spouse. Right? If family is your God, you can't control your family and their decisions that they make. But the strongest thing you can do is pray for your family. Pray and surrender to God. Allow God to work in your family. Whatever it is, surrender. Dim, I mean, literally, repent from it. Demo day it. Break it down and give it to God. 
The third step is to allow God to have his place in your heart. This is the whole surrendering thing right here. After you repent for having those gods in your life and, and, and you've done your best to demo day your idols, right? Now is the time to surrender whatever it was that you were putting in front of God. And give God his spot back. Give God his spot back. Whatever false God you have, repent. Demolish its altar in your heart. And allow God to be in his rightful spot. You see, the Israelites, they failed at keeping the old covenant. Right? The old covenant was the law, the Ten Commandments, and they broke the very first one. Don't have any other gods before me. They broke it. But the blessings of the new covenant, which is founded in Jesus Christ, is that God promises to write the law on our hearts and He empowers us to keep His ways through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Even though we slip and we backslide, sometimes in big ways like the Israelites did, having false gods in our heart, God is still waging war for your heart. God is... I wish you could see it. How much God is fighting for your heart. And He does it because He loves you. Hmm. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. This is why we never stop striving to seek Jesus in our life. is because we have these idols that need to come down. And thankfully, like Moses... He told God, hey, let's think about this whole wrath being poured out on the Israelites for for worshiping false gods, right? And and he made God kind of think about it. He didn't make God think about it, but he got God to kind of slow down and think. We have something better than that. We have someone named Jesus Christ who stands in the way of our death that we deserve because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift from God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have this guy named Jesus who even though we have false idols, even though we're still sinners, he died for us so that we can have forgiveness. We have something better than Moses. We have Jesus Christ who stood on the cross and was nailed to it. And God, instead of him pouring his wrath on us for our sin, he poured it on his son, Jesus Christ. And we have something better than Moses. Jesus Christ who rose from the grave and is alive today. Working in the hearts of man. Drawing us to him. So today, if you have something in your heart, if you have built an altar for something other than God in your heart, surrender. Repent. Demo day, baby. Get rid of it. And then allow God to have that spot that is rightfully his in your heart. If you've never received Jesus, today can be that day. But I have a feeling, and I kind of hear God saying this, it's not really, I mean, maybe some of you um, need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but I kind of have this feeling, um, the Spirit telling me that some of you just need to rededicate your life today. And that can be embarrassing, right? Because that, that kind of looks like you have an issue in your life. For you to come forward and kneel and rededicate your life to Jesus, or for you to come down and pray, that's kind of embarrassing because it looks like you don't have it all together. Well, congratulations. You don't. 
You don't. A lot of you right now think that your sin is just a cough. And it's really destroying you. That's why you have to turn to the false god of beer. So that you can drown out your sorrow. That's why you turn to the false god of sex. So that you can feel satisfied. That's why you turn to the false god of money. Because you have a fear that God's not going to provide for you. Because you have some sin in your life that's pushing you away from God. Why not, why not surrender that? The altar's here for you. I'm here. I'll pray, I'll pray all day with you. That's what I'm here for. 